You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open. Um, We are in our final series from our Back to School Toolkit. And today we're going to talk about My Child is Being Cyberbullied with Dr. Battle. Hi, Dr. Battle. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Dr. Battle, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? I know that you came to us through a relationship with Walgreens and their expressions challenge. Yes, yes. The Walgreens Expressions Challenge, which is uh, a platform that Walgreens established to educate and empower and equip young people uh, in their communities with insights and resources around addressing issues that are impacting today's youth through expressive medium. So it's a fantastic program. And I am one of those clinicians that utilizes when treating youth a lot of expressive mediums as a therapeutic tool. So it was a a good connection to have with them. That's awesome. So so you're traditionally like an art therapist. Yes. Or you Um, use art music. Right, right. I would say um, my uh, specialization is children and adolescent uh, mental health. Everything from uh, doing psychological testing to actually treating mental health or mental illness within the youth, the family, you know, anyone that touches the child, essentially, I rope into the treatment or the treatment team. Do you want to share anything else about yourself? Sure. I am a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice in Joliet, Illinois, Battle Clinical Services, and I'm also an adjunct professor at several universities. Everything that has to do with mental health and mental well-being, I'm all about that. So that is my mission. That is my goal. That is my passion. So let's dive into this topic. Uh, my child is being cyberbullied. In your work, are you seeing that that issue happening quite a bit with your youth? cyberbullying and social media issues? Absolutely. With the increase of children as young, well, in elementary school now, pretty much all kids have access to a cell phone. So the restrictions, if you will, that that parents and caregivers historically have been able to put around social media and around um, internet usage those restrictions have expanded. So there isn't the ability for parents to really monitor their children as much as maybe they were able to do it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So by virtue of access, that's where this whole thing about cyberbullying is now growing because the access to the internet and social media. And what does that look like for the youth and the families that you're working with? What is, when they come in and they say, you Mm -hmm. know, let's start with cyberbullying, because I know we also have talked about problematic social media use, but when a a child or a family comes in and cyberbullying has been an issue, Mm -hmm. what does that look like for your families? What it looks like is it typically starts um, in a, in school, like a social, you know, exchange, 
most classes from what I'm noticing um, utilize social media platforms as a way of, as part of their instructional tool. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It encourages the children to engage with each other on an academic level outside of school. They utilize um, group chats and, and all of that. So when people come in and they have been cyber, they're dealing with cyberbullying, much of the time, um, what it, it falls into two categories. Either there's some, the parents notice that there's something going on with the child, whether they've become more withdrawn, um, more socially restrictive, difficulty sleeping, difficulty engaging with the family, complaining that they're tired, complaining that they don't want to go to school. So that's one whole segment where those are like symptoms that something is going on. And then the other side is where the parents or the child or the youth have been open about being bullied, both in school and on and through social media and all of that. And what that looks like is they often report being outed, for example, in terms of how they may identify, but not outed in, in obviously in a, in a kind and respectful way, but memes are made, jokes are made about their personhood. Trickery, those persons pretending to like someone, but um, really they want to engage with them on social media and then talk about how they don't like, and then they fill it, you fill in the blank, um, whatever aspect of that person that they want to make fun of. So it's the old fashioned teasing face to face, right? That has been transformed into a social media platform. And when it happens, that person doesn't have the benefit of responding immediately. So it's like watching the trickery in a movie, so to speak, and you don't have the ability to like defend yourself in that moment. It's just so devastating. Right. You know? It is. I have friends whose children are a little older than mine. I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, so I feel like this is about to happen for me. Mm-hmm. It's shielded mm-hmm. so far, but I have friends who have children who just are a little quirky or different or, you know, I mean, I certainly was as a child. Right. And I, at least for myself, I can tell that my own childhood experiences make me have extreme reactions when I think about bullying. Right. So I grew up with childhood trauma. When I was a child, it was flight or flop or freeze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now that I'm an adult and I have power again and autonomy, I could tell with my own children, it's like mama bear. I'm going to, I'm going to get mad. I'm going to say something ridiculous to them out of a protective instinct. And, and, you know, we're told things like go work with the school (laughs) and (laughs) my gut instinct is to, is to be mad, is to be mad for my children and to teach them how Mm -hmm. to defend themselves. Absolutely. You've been working with parents for a long time. What does that look like? What does it look like then on the other side (laughs) Um, (laughs) to help guide parents with that emotional toll? Sure, sure. Um, You know, it's devastating because as parents, I don't think, I think most parents want to protect their child. And cyberbullying is one of those things that is actually very, very difficult, not only for the child, of course, to deal with, but also for parents and caregivers to combat because 
sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you don't even know who the offender is. There are ways for them to do these things without and and have a level of autonomy. So it's very difficult to kind of track down who's doing what. But for parents, I believe it begins with a conversation. You know, even now, like you you mentioned, you have an eight and a five-year-old, that these conversations are as they move through school, that there will be this introduction, if you will, of internet and, and social media use that will be integrated into their lives. And so you begin to have the conversation about personal responsibility, about social responsibility, digital safety, privacy, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, instead of a free-for-all. Uh, so you begin to have those conversations early and then loop in the part about how just like when you're in school or when you are outside the family home or that if there is something that is occurring that you don't feel comfortable with, that we you come and tell me because my role is to make sure that you are able to go to school and learn and not be worried about safety. And that safety looks like, you know, obviously physical safety, but also emotional safety. So I think it all, you know, for parents, what I say is talk early, talk often. And in the age of where we're all so incredibly busy, you know, I have seven girls and uh, seven children. Seven girls? Yes. Yes. Of my own and four beautiful bonuses. And they're all adults. So the youngest is is 20. So my experience in terms of parenting, though I do bring that into the clinical setting, uh, especially when I'm like working with, with parents and the like, it still required a little education update on my, on my own in terms of trying to get a real a good understanding of how all of this is unfolding because when my kids were younger they didn't have to have a cell phone to right. socialize and to interact and all of that so i know it's challenging i don't want to minimize it but even with the challenge communication still remains your best defense yeah it's that preventative piece mm-hmm. that's that really is protective and i imagine that when cyberbullying happens you know you talk about children basically showing symptoms that look a lot like depression and withdrawal mm-hmm. right probably mixed in with anxiety do you find that people struggle with this independently alone or do they see that there's a problem and kind of reach out and get mental health help mm-hmm. um Does that happen soon enough? (laughs) No, not soon enough. What I find is that for the most part, children wait until things are like youth, I should say, because it's it's adolescence primarily, but they wait until things are at like critical mass. Mm -hmm. Um, So I find is, is that there's often, even with the most communicative families that the kids oftentimes don't come forward and say, hey, I am dealing with this right away. They get it in their minds that they have to try to figure it out. Or there is a fear of how their parents might respond. And I, and that's an interesting one because the fear is what happens when uh, if you as a parent and you see that your child is in distress, 
the first thing that we do intuitively is to wrap our arms around them and hold them tighter. What that looks like in in the world of children and adolescents in their minds, what that looks like is more is restrictions placed yeah. on their um, access to to the internet. And so yeah. when you think about that, that's it's kind of counterintuitive, but I, I understand it. Like as a parent, yeah. you want to protect. Okay, well then let's just you know cut the monster off at the neck. That means yeah. less access. But what kids often interpret that as is punishment, punishment. Uh, towards them. And so yeah. that is one of the, I hear that time and time again. Well, if I tell my parents I'm dealing with this, they're they're going to take my phone away. Yeah. And so then the victim becomes re-victimized unintentionally, of course. Sure. What have been some of the best things that parents can do when they find out that their child is has been being cyberbullied and it's progressed to mm-hmm. you know really impacting their minds and their behaviors? Mm-hmm. I think number one um, is to make sure that you uh, reassure them that you are going that they're not in it alone because that isolative piece um, really can give rise to like depressive symptoms like social anxiety and all of that, and then begin the investigative piece of trying to determine who the offenders are and and looping in school officials. Um, There are so many resources that, that I've found in our, in my local school district where um, we're able to like, there are teens against cyberbullying groups all over the U S there are, um, cyberbullying action, student-led groups within school districts. And so what you want to do is start looping in, okay, if if the child can identify that these are people from school, then you start looping in your your school personnel. A lot of things that happen outside of school are inactionable, but cyberbullying is one of those things whose reach is obviously beyond school walls. And so therefore schools are more inclined to, to join with a parent and combat this versus, okay, it didn't happen in school. So therefore we can't worry about it. Um, So looping in school officials, also being open to getting mental health help um, and what that looks like. Schools have social workers, so we could start even working with a social worker at school and then, of course, outside of school. So it becomes um, an all-on assault against the cyber bully and um, protective measures and support for the youth. When you think about the time you've worked with youth in this time and day and age, I hear you. We, we have had to <laughs> just come up to speed about mm-hmm. all the inventive ways that kids have learned to be mean to one another. Right. Right. What's like a, a major sticking point in your mind? Like something you wish a lot of parents would keep in mind? I think that the biggest thing is that as parents to recognize that no one Cyberbullying is such that you don't have to be an odd or a quirky kid to be cyberbullied because there's stalking. That's part of it. There's all, there's all kinds of like subcategories. So cyberbullying is just so ginormous. It's, it's, you know, the harassment, the rumors, the stalking, the making fun of and like catfishing and all of that stuff. So 
all children are at risk. And I think that's if you if if a parent can accept the fact that even if your kid is like the most athletic or outgoing child and and seemingly has all these great friends that they too can become victims of this. And so that's where the conversation has to take place. So don't assume that because your child is like super social and they seem to have all these great friends and all this other stuff that they can't secretly be dealing with uh, a cyber bully. And that really speaks to social media as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. access to technology. In our last episode, I was talking to a young person and she had experienced, you know, depression and anxiety related to increased use in social media. Mm. And one of the questions I asked her was, now that you now that you're just entering college, looking back, you know, what would what guidance would you give to parents about when they should introduce their child first? Mm-hmm. to a smartphone, and then second to social media. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> now, wow. and this may be interesting because you can answer this from a professional standpoint. You can also answer this as a, a parent, a mother, mm-hmm. someone who, you know, th- those might be two different answers, right? So yeah, right. tell me your reaction to that question. It's interesting because I also have grandchildren and um, I I was the one that introduced my grandchildren to their smartphones. Mm-hmm. So first, as, as a parent and grandparent, I would say that introduction needs to happen in elementary school because the reality is, is that they need to have access in ways like way back when, I'm, I'm not going to tell my age, but I'm older, <laughs> way back when I had a landline at home. So when my friends wanted to call or when we wanted to call each other, they called on the landline. So that that was a a protection in and of itself because you can't get to me 24-7. There were respectful hours to call. And the even the length of time that we were engaging was also monitored. And so I I have put those same um, parameters, if you will with my grandchildren and their smartphones. And so they can't talk at all hours of the day. Um, They're not going to get messages and notifications past 10 o'clock. The expectation is that their their phones are workable to receive and to use after they get out of school. Because my thought is, while you're in school, what do you need a phone for? You really shouldn't need it. So that is the best advice that I would give parents even clinically is that we have to help children lessen the bombarding of information Yeah, because that is what, you know, when we start talking about smartphone usage and, and social media and all of that, it's because kids are literally falling asleep watching TikTok. And I don't think there's anything wrong with TikTok, but I do think that too much of anything is a bad thing mentally. When you say elementary school, was there a particular grade? I I think right around second grade. And I think because right around developmentally, right around second or third grade is when they're being introduced to more like critical thinking concepts. They don't fully embrace it at that age, but it's where cause and effect and and thinking about beyond the tangible is kind of introduced in a more yeah. scientific way. 
And so in that space, because I think that flows with the intangibility of what happens when you engage in social media and what all that does and and placing limits and why do you need to limit and all of that stuff. I think that conversation in an age appropriate way can be had at like second or third grade. Certainly by fourth grade. Yeah. The conversation can start around second grade. You're saying, you know, you're exploring realistically around the fourth grade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that Keegan had, and she's as a, as a young person, you know, she recognizes like, maybe I'm being reactive, you know, Mm -hmm. she was like, I I wish um, youth could hold off even until, you know, the eighth grade. And that's, I mean, I, and it's, that's like a hard decision because there's a practicality that you mentioned here, mm-hmm. privileges at play, you know, cause yeah. if we all could pick up our kids at two o'clock and hang out with our children and immerse them right, <laughs> in right. all these positive experiences, that would be lovely, but most of us have to work, you know, mm-hmm. and our children are elsewhere. And so we're communicating with them and keeping tabs on them and, but I, but somewhere between, you know, fourth and eighth grade sounds like when we're as parents going to be dealing with these issues. And so mm-hmm. it's a good thing for a parent to just know that this, this is right around that time where we need to kick up our information and speaking to our kids about these issues. And there's a lot of information out there. A lot of research has been done around, especially since like 2021 is where there was a great push because the American Pediatric Association put out a study uh, recognizing that mental health or mental illness, anxiety, and depression were quadrupling among uh, youth that were ages 9 to 18 in ways that that we had never seen before. And so they looped in a lot of um, the fact that there's such access to social media and that it's continuous and it's very difficult to kind of curtail the amount of exposure. So all of these things, uh, it is growing. It is a growing concern. And when I look at, when I hear like middle school, that's right around the time that identity development is being solidified. It starts in like elementary age and continues to about middle school. And so middle school for a lot of youth is very, very tumultuous. So, you know, actually looking at these ages and the demographics of of what's coming up in terms of youth and, and mental illness you know, waiting until eighth grade might not be such a bad idea now that I <laughs> kind of think about it because, you know, identity development and all of that stuff. And with that typically is coming cyberbullying and all of that. Yeah. Hmm. I think that we all have to do what's, what we feel right. But the best thing we can do is arm ourselves with information and maybe mm-hmm. just like other substances, addiction, things that are predisposed to addiction addictive behavior is like the longer you can delay access might be a protective factor in and of itself. I think it's something that's hard, but what we often see that's challenge is if parents aren't thinking ahead about some of the problematic aspects that come with a phone. A phone can be exciting, but too mm-hmm. much of a good thing is is not not good, right? So right. preparing ourselves. I think most parents today are more aware and prepared than before, which I think is really hopeful. How about social media? Do you think about social media? Like when should a kid get <laughs> what's social media is a whole nother beast, you know? We didn't talk about it. High yeah. school. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely think like ninth grade. 
I, I, I just had, I have a, my oldest grandchild is 15 and um, I think I just granted her access last year to TikTok. Yeah. yeah. But it is, it's got even within the platform, I put whatever age appropriate parameters I could. And I also think one thing I didn't mention is that a lot of the social media outlets have, if you look on their respective sites, they have uh, supports and resources for parents around social media use of their particular platform. And I think that's that was done in response to uh, early on as social media started to boom, that you know, where parents, caregivers, just the community was saying, well, we can't, you can't just put every, allow whatever you want out there in terms of content and not take any responsibility. So I think a lot of the platforms have responded by making sure that they have a statement, some links to resources within their platform. If they, if you find that your child or your person is being stalked, bullied, or harassed in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I think there's pretty good consensus there that waiting until high school is, mm-hmm. is, is what we have to do for social media. It's, I don't know, even personally for me, it's, it's, you can see how of much of a lure it is for our brains, how it really yeah. taps and like fires my dopamine actively yes. when I'm on it, right? You're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> no, the other day, in I, a hard way. I was on TikTok watching something decorative or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm only going to do 10 minutes. And I look up and it's like 40 minutes later, I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. Yeah, that time warp that happens with our brains. It's really wild. Well, I just really appreciate your time here. Is there any final thoughts you might want to share with our audience? What I would say is that this is a community issue. And so don't feel like you have to operate in, in silence if your child or is, is dealing with these things, that there are supports available and it's okay to tap into them. It's not, it's not weird. It's not off. Like this is a, this is a thing that we have to all come together and, and help each other and that there are resources available. I felt at times in this conversation both more scared than I was before, like (laughs) learning about the different ways that my child can be exposed and also relieved, you know, when you say that it's true, there's, there are more resources today than there ever have been Mm -hmm. before. So Mm -hmm. we'll take a breath and (laughs) and breathe in, breathe out. It's all going to be okay. Hold that truth. All right, then I will sign off and we'll say thank you everybody and keep on fighting in the open.